0: Hi, this is Geeta Nandikotkur, Managing Editor for Asia and Middle East with Information Security Media Group. I caught up with Brandon Swafford, Chief Technology Officer, Data Protection and Inside Threat at Forcepoint Global recently in Bengaluru on the occasion of Forcepoint Solutions Day. Brandon has been championing the case of insider threat program in the financial services domain, and he observes an inside-out security approach that goes beyond blocking threats to identify, understand, and mitigate user behaviors could possibly result in a breach of critical data. Thank you, Brandon, for joining the discussion with ISMG. Nice to meet you. So, Brandon, you have been driving the portfolio of insider threat and you have been a customer before you came on to join the other side of the table. And also you have been championing the cause of insider threat and you have been advocating that it is inside approaches what is required to address this challenge of insider threat. So what does that mean?
1: So I think it means a couple of things. First, the reality of business today is that in order to function in the modern society of of business, you have to use cloud applications. You have to have remote access. You have to have BYOD devices. And that really means you you create a pretty porous perimeter. You have to poke more holes in it. And trying to protect it gets harder and harder and harder. And so realistically, you have to have good... perimeter controls. We also have to focus on who's controlling the data, where does it go, how do they interact with it, and what does it mean. And so the inside-out approach really amounts to coordinating good perimeter controls with decent internal controls and monitoring. If data leaves the perimeter, at least if it leaves, you have to understand if it was good or bad, because data is going to go, I mean, it's just a reality. Um, Because it may go to trusted partners, it may go to vendors, it may go to competitors, and you have to tell the difference.
0: So how do you link it with insider threat detection?
1: I think the human point story and, and moving towards sort of data-centric security is is really a clear link to, to insider threat because insider threat comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. And so the more you think about understanding human behavior and activity and the data they access, the more insight you have into both building better controls, educating your, your population, educating your employees to do a better job, to build better internal security awareness. And insider threat really is not just a way to look at you know, theft, it's a way to look at you know, making your employees more effective and making your employees just more security aware and safer.
0: That's very interesting because if you observe recent breaches that have happened in the industry, specific to Indian market also, and also other APAC markets, most of the data breaches beat Bangladesh-related, Union Bank. The key challenge has been the insider threat. How does it really happen?
1: So there's a couple of ways. There's what I would call a sort of witting and unwitting insider threat or people that are intentional or compromised. So when you do have banks that have been breached or you have PII or PCI that's been stolen, there really a couple of different ways it happens. If a person's involved directly, it can be you know stealing the data, copying the data if they're typically in access. More often than not, a lot of these that when a person's involved, it happens when that person has legitimate access to the data, because honestly... People that don't have legitimate access that escalate their credentials or steal data is is actually less common than people that just steal the data they can already see. It's much easier, it's simpler from their perspective, and they think it's something that they have the opportunity to have. The other way it happens is when they've been infected by malware, and malware will attempt to compromise credentials and assume an identity. So even though it's malware trying to take over an account and steal data and exfiltrate it, when you look at it from an insider threat perspective, at least from mine, it still shows up as like a person. So even though the source is a person's attitude at stealing something or, or want or need or malware attempting to do it, the way you detect it is not a lot different. You're still looking at accounts doing strange things. You're still looking at people accessing data in a, in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense, data moving places it shouldn't go. Or so when you think about PII and PCI being stolen, a lot of times it's simple, it's deliberate, and it's gone before you know it's, you know, it's over. And that's why it's so hard to detect them because the time in which it takes us so short.
0: So what are the technological possibilities of detecting these threats?
1: So a couple of things. You have a couple of opportunities. You either have an opportunity when the data is being accessed or when the data is attempting to leave. So when it's being accessed, the technologies you look at are like auditing and DLP, with and like access permission logs, like identity access management. More often than not, it's hard to deploy things like DLP because there's so much different content in a company. You can't really create rules for every single possible thing. So a lot of times, companies will build just like size thresholds that says, okay, we think data that's important to us is going to be big. That's not usually true, but the assumption is fine. And so when data reaches a certain size threshold, it'll start to stop it or detect it or throw up alerts. And honestly, that's how a lot of these things are detected.
0: And don't you think they're deploying these technologies and still we are seeing a lot of insider threat?
1: Yeah, I think there's two ways to address that. First is people always find a way. People are clever. And unfortunately, malicious people and, and people that want to get something out are more try to be very, very clever. And so they're going to try really hard and they're going to test all the fences and they're going to figure out a way. I think the other way to view it is deploying technologies like these are long-term programs, and the more you learn, the better those tools are going to get. So even though a company may have the technologies deployed, people are going to try their best to get around them. But also, it doesn't
0: mean that because they deployed it that they it's running it the right way. See, most companies, if you see in India, and also to a certain extent in APAC also, they're all proprietary win companies. Except for the banks. And the business revolves around trust. The question of threat, insider threat, or you know, doubting an insider doesn't really arise. And mm-hmm. they don't even think of malicious insiders being present. So I guess that backdrop, what do the practitioners need to really, how do they evangelize?
1: In the U.S. and other, and other places, you get there's a lot of sort of fear marketing. Like they want to talk about how everyone can be affected, everyone can steal from you. I don't really see that as being the effective way to approach it, because all that does is it's put in a position of of assuming everybody's bad, and that's really not like a great way to approach it. You can't just assume everyone's out to get you. The reality is, is that there's going to be a percentage of people that potentially may be, and there's going to be a percentage of people that accidentally do bad things. But I think if you have a, a situation that's based primarily on trust, the United States isn't a lot different. They just have different rules and laws, and, and just securities handled. In a different way. But I think from evangelism for insider threat, it's going to be two things. So it's going to be a lot about protection and a lot about security. And what I mean by protection is when you have a, a very trustful relationship, you rely on that person to tell you the truth. You rely on everything to be straightforward. But when a person's being accused and when, and when things are complicated, it really becomes a, how much do you take this person's word for what they're saying? And it's very difficult to prove right or wrong. With a, with a really comprehensive system that records what happens, you can use that essentially to verify people's claims very quickly so the reality is, is the system works both ways, is it works to protect you as well as to understand how to protect the company. So rather than me saying, I didn't send the data, I don't know what you're talking about, you could probably verify a lot of that rather than have to just hope they take my word for it.
0: So you're speaking about the infosecurity programs that practitioners can really leverage to address this insider threat challenge. So how do you integrate that program into your regular infosec program?
1: So maturity of a security program will will change a lot in how insider threat is integrated into it. But I think the the short answer is you have to build it iteratively. You have to pick the use cases that you, you can be confident in, that you can consistently identify. You have good visibility and you have a good understanding of the things you're paying attention to. And then as you, you integrate the simple use cases, like people escalating their credentials, people attempting to bypass controls, things that are very clear and easy to identify, as those become more integrated, the skill set of the SOC is going to help you know, understand a little bit more about how to identify people and then move into more sort of ambiguous or harder use cases. With companies that have a a larger population or a larger security force, having more dedicated insider threat analysts is is definitely be beneficial because you're going to have just a lot of data to sort through. The workflows are going to be difficult. and There's going to be just a lot of work to be done. And honestly, in my experience, people that have a specialty skill set that just pay attention, to understanding people are are really the most effective. And when you try to, to bring people that are mostly used to dealing with sort of computer security alerts. It's just a skill set to be learned. So there's, there's a time aspect that has to be handled.
0: So given the limitations the companies have currently, resource crunch, there is not enough deployment of technologies, there are no budgets, there are so many factors which are hindering the group. Against that, what do you recommend practitioners need to do for effectively deploying these programs? What are the basic things?
1: I think everybody starts somewhere. And I think the reality is is that I work for a company that deals with technology that is it's mature and it's complex and it's an advanced capability in a lot of respects, but it's not something that everyone can leverage and deploy on the first day. So I think the reality of, of insider threat, not thinking about technology is companies can start thinking about how they handle it without really technology being involved. So first is to think really diligently about how their data is being handled, where their sensitive data lives, what are their policies that cover it, how well is their education, how well are they leveraging their existing controls, and then trying to milk as much as they can out of their policy and human side. So get HR involved, get legal involved, really make it a culture of security. And I think having a good security culture and having a good secure workforce will do so much for a company that has very little resources, then a lot of that, it's not free, but it's considerably less expensive than technology. But once that becomes evident in the culture and people start to see outcomes from that, budgets and, and allocations become a lot easier conversations to have when you have success in understanding security and you want to take the next step. It's easier to take that next step when you already have a culture that supports you know a secure environment. So
0: you also focused on an insider threat, early warning systems. So how does it work?
1: I think you have a couple of things to think about there. So you have, if you take back to the answer I just gave with respect to having a security culture and and having all the different stakeholders involved, that's really critical because they're going to provide good early warning systems with respect to understanding the people that are involved, the people they, they understand and the workflows and where the data lives and how it's being accessed. Just people that understand those workflows are good early warning systems in themselves. When you think about the technical side of it, building those indicators is based on the outcomes of the business processes, the data movements, and then being able to determine good activity from bad activity. And the issue with you know, technical alerts is that a lot of times they're not super specific. They're gonna be somewhat ambiguous, they're not gonna be really detailed, and they're just gonna basically point you in a direction. So right now, if you look at having nothing, you don't know whether you're going north, south, east, or west, a go alert work can maybe tell you, go north. A really better alert's gonna say, go north five miles, and a really, really great one, it's gonna be, go north five miles and turn right. But they're really not gonna solve the problem for you. They're gonna give you a huge amount of data and bring you much closer to that problem, whereas normally that problem just may never rise to the surface.
0: So when do you have to see any company, any organization need to look at, okay, complete data protection when it comes to insider threats? And what are the key elements that you recommend?
1: So I think it comes into a couple of different categories. So some of them are technical, some of them aren't technical. So I think from a programmatic perspective, you have workflows that engage you know, legal and policy and understanding what are the things you have to pay attention to, having a good framework in which to, to govern your own population. It's because a lot of people just don't know what the rules are. And maybe there aren't rules that actually govern the things that you you need to know about. So having a good policy and rule framework, establishing a reporting chain that's very clear, because if someone finds an incident, what happens? And honestly, the biggest problems I run in with people is that they don't think about what to do when you actually have an incident. They focus on how to detect it, but once you find a person, what do you do? So how does legal get involved? How does HR get involved? So policy and procedures are really critical. From a technology perspective, it's really about controls and visibility. So you have to control as much as you reasonably can without disrupting the enterprise, and that's going to come by way of firewalls and proxies, as well as DLP and good access permission controls, so things like IDAM and database monitoring and access. And finally, you're going to look at visibility, and that is once you once you can no longer control something without impacting the business process, you just have to, to watch it. And then you have a combination of endpoint visibility, network visibility controls, because certain things don't manifest on a workstation. They happen at servers, they happen at domain servers, and web apps and sort of at the end, you're going to look at analytics to really have a a complete grasp on things. The end of the line is having a good understanding of policy, procedures, workflows, analysis, visibility, controls, uh, and analytics to help make sense of all the data you're getting.
0: But do you see organizations deploying these elements of behavior analytics? Is that happening? Because in your entire cycle that stood towards the end, right?
1: Behavior analytics don't really help you until you have good visibility. So the reality of that world is, if you give it garbage, you're going to get garbage out. And so it isn't until you can give it good quality data sources and you give it a, a good understanding of what you think right and wrong is, the analytics aren't going to help you. And I think the reality of analytics is, machine learning is valuable with respect to repeatable patterns. So when you think about malware analysis, malware has repetitious patterns. Doing machine learning against cyber attacks and and some basic things is the well worn like that stuff works. Like it actually, it's it's a good technology and it works. People don't function, good repeatable patterns. So machine learning gets very hard to implement. And so it takes a long time for good machine learning and high-end analytics to become effective.
0: So finally, you also mentioned in your conversation, cybersecurity versus insider. Mm -hmm. How do you differentiate? So is there a methodology the practitioners can look into?
1: Sure. So there's two things. The big differentiator for me is cybersecurity is a computer, insider threat's a person. Now, people use the computers to execute. Like they use tool- computers as a tool to get their job done. But at the end of the day, insider threat focuses on the outcomes and that if the outcome of that is going to be, person's going to be affected. And, you know, people have emotions. The computer doesn't care what you say to it. But if you bring a person in that's a person just doing their job and you accuse them of stealing data from a company, whether you're right or wrong, and let's assume for a second that you're wrong, you've now changed that person's opinion on the company. You don't know how they're going to be affected by that. You don't know what's going to happen so you gotta be right. And so the level of ambiguity with respect to how right you need to be and how much work you need to do before you really take those next steps is so much different than cyber. Cyber is you get a set of IOCs, indicators of compromise. You get a set of behaviors that, that say this is malware. And you just go and look, and if it's the malware, then you remove it. If it's not, then the computer doesn't feel bad. You haven't hurt its feelings by by reading its registry and event logs. That's not how really a person's going to react. I think from a methodology perspective, there's you just need to be aware that that's what's happening. You're not gonna just going to go and, and log onto a computer and pull logs off of it. You're going to have a conversation. Second, and this is more of an analysis conversation, which is operating under the impression that most of your analysis is going to be wrong. Operating under the impression that your job is not to take the thing that you think happened and prove that it happened. It's to discount any other potential alternative. And that is, here's the situation I think has occurred. Here are all the potential alternatives. I'm going to go and investigate all of those until I am sure that none of those are the case. And then I'm going to kind of go back. I'm going to reevaluate my initial hypothesis. So it's really, it's more scientific and it's more thought-provoking than it is following a set of procedures.
0: Thank you very much for joining this and sharing your thoughts on inside the thread.
1: Well, thank you.